Luke chapter 15. Dick Winter expressed last week how much he enjoyed chapter 14. He even expressed that in his prayer last week. And I was thinking the same thing about chapter 15. Just, I, I was, it's one of those chapters, maybe it was this way for you. You knew, you know, if you saw the, the, the title, the, the subheading, it, the prodigal son, you may have had that thought like, I, I know that parable. It, that's one of the first stories you learn and if, you're, if you have a church background. Um, but, I, and I, but I remember that several years ago, I um, had listened to a sermon by Tim Keller preaching. Maybe it might be one of his most famous sermons uh, on this parable. In fact, Gene reminded me he's written a book, uh, The Prodigal God. And, I, and Bill's going to buy it and read it. I saw it in his notes already. And, but I remember listening to that some years ago and remember being just being, um, um, what's the right word? I mean, just wow. I didn't, I've just never seen some of the things that he drew out of that, out of this parable, particularly with regard to the heart of God. So anyway, I found it. I wanted to go back and find it and listen to it again. So I listened to it again uh, Saturday morning. And I heard... Another, what I thought was an amazing observation that I don't remember hearing the first time. I'm sure he said it. It just didn't stick the first time. So we'll get to that. Um, so anyway, just as I, particularly this, this parable of the prodigal son, uh, the more I looked at it and thought about it and you know, saw things in the text that I hadn't seen before and connected some dots, the more I uh, enjoyed this this uh, text, and, and one of the reasons, and I, I just said something about you know how what we see about God, the heart of, of our Father, Heavenly Father. I think I've told y'all a couple of times, at least in recent, maybe since Christmas, since kind of the break, I began to want to see the grace of God in Luke's gospel because I, I keep seeing uh, God just—I I mean, Jesus—hammering these Pharisees. And even to the, to some extent, a few, you know, a few chapters ago, he looked at the crowd, it said, and called them an evil generation, right? Because, because they kept seeking for a sign. So it wasn't just the Pharisees. I mean, he is getting on to the people, uh, increasingly, it seems to me. And I, I just begin to think, gosh, I know. Where's, where's the grace of God in this text? And in, in the gospel, Luke, in Luke's gospel. Man, do I, do we see it. We see it tonight um, in the prodigal son parable. So my aim tonight, the one I ended, I landed with, is um, to cause the audience to know that God celebrates each repentant sinner. So should we. God celebrates repentant, each repentant sinner. And so should we. That's really kind of my application. And I really think... That's, that was the point of the parable. That's why Jesus spoke these three. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them the parable, even though it's three, it seems like maybe three parables. But one of the things I noticed in the text, verse 3, at least in the New American Standard, and he told them this parable. Of course, the first one is the coin. The, I mean, the the, sheep, the lost sheep. The, th- the second one is the lost coin, and then the third is. But I, I don't. You don't see. And he said another. Anyway, uh, I think the three led up to. I mean, they were kind of the the package deal to the point that Jesus wanted to make. So we're going to see how God celebrates each repentant sinner, 
Because that's what the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the lawyers, the scribes, that's what they were not willing to do. And that's why Jesus told them this. So my structure, I ended up kind of restructuring the tech, the chapter. Uh, I, I decided to go with two divisions. The first division being verses 1 to 3, which I call the Pharisees' complaint. And then the rest of the, the, rest of the chapter... Again, take key in on that word. Jesus told them this parable. I thought, you know, maybe in Jesus' mind it's one parable. I called it Jesus' rebuke. So verses 4 to 32 is my second division. Jesus' rebuke. So you've got the Pharisees' complaint. Jesus' rebuke. And his rebuke had three three parts to it. Really, you know, with a progression. So obviously verses 4 to 7, the lost sheep. Verses 8 to 10, the lost coin. And then verses 11 to 32, the lost son. But of course, as we, may, as we you know by now, and I'll reemphasize or I'll emphasize, that parable is not just about what we would, what we historically, or maybe at least in American culture, we think of the prodigal son, but it's really about the, the not prodigal, the elder son. Is really the point, and why do I say that? Because, and I uh, look at let's look at it a little bit. The first couple of verses, this big, this first division. Why do I call that a division? Now, all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And thank you, Steve Atkins, <laughs> for pointing out to me how many of you saw or made a connection to the very last part of verse 30 of chapter 14 verse 35 where he said um, he who has ears to hear let him hear and the next thing Luke writes now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming to him to listen to him and, and that, in a sense that's in, in contrast to the Pharisees who were not coming to listen to him they did not have ears to hear they were coming to listen to him, and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable. And I think I've said before, and I, this, uh, when, when verse 2, really 1 and 2, with regard to the way the Pharisees, when they say in verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them, even in my marginal note here um, in, the, in this New American Standard Study Bible that I, that I have, he said, they say that word, uh, in verse 2 at least, indicates irreligious or non-practicing Jews. Now, I've, and I've seen that at least in one other place. I'm not sure we could be dogmatic about that. I mean, it's the word sinner, it's, it, it's those places where... Um, and actually, I think it, there's, yeah, uh, even when you see it at the end of verse 7 and verse 10, you know, which is Jesus' punchline, so to speak, of those first two parables, that, that uh, you know, there's more joy in heaven, verse 7, than over, 90, over one sinner. I think, I think in, it's, it's, it's probably more generic. It's a person who recognizes their sin before God. It's more, it's more the way we think of, you know, we're all sinners. But I think the way the Pharisees, when they said it, they, their understanding of that was 
you know, those sinners, not like us, righteous. You know, we're the ones who keep the law. But Jesus is eating with those sinners, right? It, it, they had, it was a, devise, a division, a, a, a classification. That it's those sinners, and we're not in that group. We're, we're the good guys. Anyway, so, so they were really offended again that Jesus, they just, that he receives. Because their, their understanding was, we're the ones who are trying to keep the law. We, we are committed to being righteous before God. And if we were to uh, fellowship, I mean, you know, to eat, eat a meal in that culture in those days, and that meant to, that, that was a relationship. That meant an acceptance. It wasn't just going down to Chick-fil-A, you know, and getting a, getting a chick sandwich, you know. Um, it meant it carried a lot of weight, and they would not do that because that they they understood that to they would thereby be defiled just to do that with a sinner, right? Um, and so, and it's interesting. Well, never mind. I, I, I got to keep going here. So that sets it up. Verses one and two. That sets it up. Their complaint. That's what prompts Jesus to tell these three. This three. I'm gonna call it the three part parable. The lost sheep and the lost coin. Let me just, I'm going to kind of shortcut that part, those two parts, by saying that the, the one thing, and I wrote as a principle, both that you see in both of those, is that God values His people. God places value on His people, on us. Like the shepherd valued that sheep, that lost sheep, so that He would leave the 99 and go find the one. And the coin, the woman, she lost one of her coins. So she stopped everything. You know, lit the lamp, swept out, and found that coin. Um, she put forth effort. In fact, I had written in my uh, in my Bible some years ago. I think it was Jim Fleming that taught this text years ago. Where did I see it? Anyway, maybe I'll just look in my Bible. I told you it's in here. God is seeking the lost like a tender shepherd, a meticulous housewife, and then finally, a compassionate father, which we'll get to. Um, I, thought, I thought of two things when I thought that thought that God values his people. The first thought I had was the cross-reference in 1 Peter. What is 1 Peter 2? What does Peter say about us? He's telling the, the, the in that case, he's, I think he's primarily the Gentiles uh, from the first couple of verses in 1 Peter. But he says, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is First Peter 2, 9. A people for his own possession that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But just those, those uh, phrases, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are precious in God's sight. And when I thought that thought, I thought, you know, what's that song I haven't sung in 50 years? <laughs> Jesus loves the little children of the world. <laughs> Was it red, yellow, black, and white? They are precious in His sight. And I thought, that's it. We are precious. We are precious to God the Father. So so then, in, in the punchline, uh, again, verse 7 and verse 10, and again, this, this reinforces the fact that He's telling these his point, his primary point is to rebuke, to correct these Pharisees. They were grumbling about his acceptance of sinners, what people who they regarded as um, below them, 
you shouldn't have anything to do with them. They're not savable or not worthy of being saved. Um, and yet that's the very people that Jesus was, was receiving. They were coming to Him and He was welcoming them and receiving them. And He pointed out in verse 7 and in verse 10, there's joy in heaven and there's joy, what is it in the verse 10, joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And I just can't help but think, Rather, and I think I asked a question, did, did you go so far in the, in the one about the sheep to think of the 99 as in a way representing the Pharisees? I, that, that thought came to me. I didn't dwell on it. But my point is, he's, again, he's addressing this to these Pharisees in their self-righteousness. And he's essentially saying, you think God is proud of you and pleased to have you on his side? Now, let me tell you who, who God celebrates. Let me tell you what causes celebration in heaven. One sinner who repents. You know, and he's already told them, gotten onto them several times, that that's their big thing, that they're unwilling to repent. And he, you know, what, did I gash you for the cross reference, the earlier account in Luke, where he talks about, um, you know, I've come to you know, heal those who, who are sick. Those are the ones who need a physician. Those who are healthy, um, they don't need, you know, those. And the, the implications are those who, who think they're healthy. I didn't. That's not who I came for. I came to those who understand their sickness and are willing to, to repent, who know their need. So let's go to the uh, then the, the third and the final, the prodigal son, or as Tim Keller would say, the prodigal sons. There's two. There's two sons in this parable. Let me read it again. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, which essentially apparently meant he, he liquidated um, the, the land, the, the animals, whatever, the material wealth that his father assigned to him that was was to be his inheritance. He liquidated it, sold it, and took off. He went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving it anything to eat. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have, have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. And this is, this is the beautiful part. And I think I ask you a question to just... See, identify the different act, actions and attitudes of this father who in the parable rep, represents God the Father, our Heavenly Father, and think about God's grace. So he's coming. He's, got, he's, he's, he's made the decision to repent, to confess before you know, his sin against his father. So he got up and he came to the father. But, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why did the father see him? Because the father's looking for him, right? And he felt compassion for him. 
And he ran. And did y'all talk about Keller? This was one of the things that Keller brought out. It's culture. And I saw it two or three other references. For a, for a patriarch, a landowner, a man of means to run was just was unheard of. He didn't run to anybody. People came to them. One of the reasons was he would have to gird up his coat his, and, and bare his legs to run. He'd have to kind of, which they just didn't do. Um, so there's a whole lot right there. And, and it's condescending for this father to run towards his repentant son. And he embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be your son. But, <laughs> another key but, the father was, was having essentially nothing to do with, he just was not interested in what this son, what his plan was to, to kind of get back in good graces or to somehow pay his debt or whatever he was intending. It's just But the father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe. Keller said that was probably his robe. He would have the best robe. And you can't help if you're thinking um, if the, the correspondence, the, the, the physical, the, the word pictures or the mental pictures you get, um, how we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. To be in God's presence. Put on the, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Meaning, I'm not interested in waiting for you to clean yourself up. I'm going to clothe you right now with my best robe. Put a, put a ring, a, put the ring, a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. So it's just this full embracing back into the family. I mean, he, because he was a son. And it's just reestablishing that the fullness of that position, that relationship. And bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let's eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they begin to be merry. And uh, Keller said, that's act one. That's the, that's the, um, you know, the younger son going off trying to, Find his own way. He, all he wanted was the stuff of his father. But he came to his senses and he wanted to come back. But again, his repentance, uh, it's just he, he repented and, that's, and, and the, that's what the father was looking for. The father wasn't interested in him coming back and working as a hired hand and somehow paying off his debt or any of that. He just wanted him to turn and come back. Now, verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what, what these things might be. And he said to him, you know, the servant said to him, Your brother's come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the elder, the elder brother, he became angry and was not willing to go in. And this is something I'd totally forgotten and totally missed until, you know, again, I was listening to this tape, this sermon by Keller. He pointed this out. What did the father do when the, the son was angry, the, elder, the older son was angry, refusing to go into the celebration because he was mad at his father, jealous of his younger brother? Verse 27, verse 28. 
he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. So once again, we, we see the initiative of the father. Even to this self-righteous, angry, entitled, I mean, all the things that this elder son was guilty of at this point. 29, he's, and he answered, the sons answered and said to his father, look, and again, that was probably scandalous in that culture for a son to say to his father, look. For so many years, as, as, rather than addressing him in some manner of respect. But he said, look, for so many years I have been serving you. And I have never neglected a command of yours. Are you thinking about the Pharisees? They're standing. Jesus is addressing this whole thing to them, right? And they've got to be feeling it. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid, a goat, let alone the fattened calf, right? That I might be married with my friends. But when this son of yours, who was this son of yours? That was his brother. <laughs> so he's disrespected his father. He's, he's distanced himself from his own brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, my child, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours. And the father reminds him, this, this son of mine, that, as you call him, that's your brother. This brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So just quickly, um, just to restate my question six, my answers to question six. He was looking for him. You know, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. The father felt compassion for him. The father ran, which was a, a, an act of condescension. He embraced him. He kissed him. And he, he was, he, um, you know, the son had this attitude of not being worthy, but the father essentially said, you are worthy. You're, you're my son. Put the, put the robe on you. Put the ring on your finger. Put sandals on your feet. Come into the back end of the house. We're going to kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. And the, the older brother, the Pharisees, as, as, the, as he represented in the story, um, just totally self-absorbed, self-righteous, feeling like God, like in this, you know, the, the, this elder, the elder son felt like the father owed him. Look, I've been here. I've kept all the commandments. I'm the good son. You owe me. And you've done me wrong because you've never even given me a goat. You know I mean? <laughs> Um, man. So, um, and here's the thing that, I, that Keller ended with that, that just totally caught me by surprise. So, this elder brother here was, uh, he, he did, he, he was not the elder brother that he should have been to this, to the younger brother. And Keller said, uh, you know, this el this younger brother, he didn't have a, he didn't have the elder he didn't have an elder brother as he should have. He said, but we do. We have the perfect elder brother. What this this brother, the elder brother, what he should have done, he should have felt the father's compassion for the for his younger brother who had gone away, and and he should have been, or if you know, in, in a, as a 
And so the point is to make it short. What we see here in, in contrast, what this what this brother in the story was not, Jesus is. And I thought about, in other words, Jesus feels the Father's compassion to leave heaven, come to earth, and seek and save those who are lost at his own cost. That was the other thing that Keller brought out so powerfully. That, you know, this this older brother in the story was was angry because it cost him. Jesus was willing to become poor so that we might become rich, Paul says in first second Corinthians, second Corinthians. And one lad, I'll leave you with the last cross reference in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews chapter two. Look at Hebrews chapter two. Um, which is, you know, the, the thrust of Hebrews chapter 2 is, is the, the superiority of Christ compared to Moses, the angels, the, the superiority of the new covenant. But in verse 9, so uh, Hebrews 2, 9, starting there, but we, we do not see Him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of the death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10 is, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through such. So it's talking about God the Father perfecting Jesus, the author of our salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one Father, for which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. So just the, the, the grace of God and the grace of Jesus as portrayed in God the Father and in, and in kind of contrast, what, what Jesus is in contrast, what Jesus is is the, the perfect elder brother in contrast to the, the brother in this story, um, shows us that you know, God's heart for the, for the repentant sinner. So what was my aim? That God celebrates each repentant sinner and then the, the rebuke and the application to me, maybe to you, and so should we. So should we be. Should so should we celebrate? I mean, I, I know. Uh, you know, I grew up in church. Uh, I wasn't a Christian the whole time, but I was definitely growing up in church. And I definitely have had elder brother kinds of attitudes, Pharisaical attitudes. And I'll just. I was thinking about it that that, that this application. I mean, the way this thing strikes me, I can remember. When I was in college, when I finally came alive spiritually, um, coming back to Birmingham one time and running into one of my old schoolmates, a kid who grew up just a block or two, guy, his name was Barry Gilmore. In my assessment, my, my, my Barry Gilmore was a bad little guy in the neighborhood as a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old. You know, he did all this. I didn't do the stuff Barry Gilmore did, and I was proud of it. And I ran into him one day as a college student. He starts telling me about Jesus. He'd come to Christ. 
And and I can de- I just can distinctly remember, you know, obviously I wasn't gonna say this to his face because <laughs> I was a good little boss, <laughs> right? But I can remember thinking, I can't believe God saved not Barry Gilmore. <laughs> you know? I just they're just they're I, you know, I just have those people. It's kinda like the sinners and the tax collectors. It just it just so that's what just gets me. And and, and I, so that's the that's the application to me is, man, I, I need to celebrate how God is when God saves people, when somebody repents, there is joy in heaven. And I need to be in, in, in um, entering into that joy um, the way God does. So each so God celebrates each repentant sinner. And so should we. Let me pray for us. Father, what a beautiful picture of your grace towards us, your compassion for us. When we turned, you were looking, you were watching us, and you ran to us and embraced us and kissed us, put the righteous robe of Christ on us. And we, we, (laughs) Father, your grace is so amazing and so overwhelming. Lord, would you help us to see and to look, to, to celebrate when you pour out your grace on other people, people that surprises us, when you save them, would we celebrate rather than uh, be caught up in our self-righteousness? Lord, thank you for, for Jesus coming, uh, leaving heaven, coming to earth, and being the perfect elder brother. And we pray in his name. Amen.